0: It's Sunday, the best day of the week. Let's get down here. And I just like that. We have some guests with us. We're so thankful you can be with us today. If you got your Bibles, we're going to begin in the book of Matthew, chapter 16. We're going to walk through some verses there in just a moment, but we are delighted you could be with us. And indeed, we believe Sunday is the best day of the week. We believe it gives us a different mindset. We do things a little bit differently. And what a different world this would be if every day could be a Sunday we are glad to have each of you with us today. Well, it started off as a rumor. And it quickly got out of control. And it really blew things in major proportions. The year was 1750. King Louis XV was the king of France. And children in Paris were showing up missing. Moms and dads were panicky. Where were their Where were their kids? And they were searching the streets. And a rumor spread that King Louis XV had leprosy. And he was kidnapping children and bathing in their blood. Parents went just off bonkers. They started burning the city. They started demanding answers from the king. And what they found out, the truth was, there was a city ordinance that had been passed. And they're trying to get people off the streets at night. And the police were paid extra for every person they picked up. And so they picked up a whole bunch of children, put them in safe houses so they could make extra money. No children were being kidnapped. The king was not bathing in blood. In fact, Louis XV did not even have leprosy. But for that summer of 1750, the city of Paris was upside down because of a rumor. In the book called A Colorful History of Popular Delusions, the author, Bartholomew, says this, rumors are stories of perceived importance that lack substantiating evidence. That's just a literary way of saying they're made up. There's simply no truth. This morning, we want to talk about the people of God. We are the people of God. God expects things about us. So much of our worship already has flown into this sermon today. Love one another, as we have sang. Blessed be the tie, as we have sang. As Stuart said at the table, that we are to have a life of righteousness. We are the people of God. Every once in a while, as we read our Bibles, God has to say some things. And sometimes he says things that's kind of hard to hear. Sometimes they knock the shine off our shoes. Sometimes we need to take a serious look at how I'm walking with Jesus Christ. And that takes us to our study today in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. Because in Matthew chapter 16, somebody says something to Jesus that simply wasn't true. Now, this happens a lot to Jesus. In John chapter 8, they said that Jesus had a, was a Samaritan. They also said in John chapter 8 that Jesus was, had a demon. In Mark chapter 3, when Jesus' own family was around him, they said he has lost his senses. And in Luke 15, the the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling because Jesus was eating with sinners. But here somebody says something that's substantial, that simply wasn't true. And what follows is the harshest words Jesus ever says to anyone. Got your Bible now, let's turn to Matthew chapter 16. Let's walk through this because we find some pivotal statements here that we need to talk about at the very beginning here. And then we'll look at some things that we need to see in this. It begins in verse 13 of Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 13, down to verse 23. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, say, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he is a Christ. From that time, verse 21, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised up on the third day. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Now, we can't look at this passage without noticing some important things. First of all, we notice the earnest confession here that Peter makes that you are the Christ. The son of the living God. And Jesus would respond in verse 17 by blessing him. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. What does he mean, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you? He means that when you walk down the street, you look in the crowd and say, oh, that's Jesus. He's got the halo. No, there's no halo above his head. He wasn't, you ever notice the masterpieces, everyone's wearing drab. There's a store called drab, and everyone wears drab, except Jesus. He's always wearing bright white or bright red. No, you can't tell Jesus from a crowd by the way he looks. That's flesh and blood. But heaven revealed it by the words Jesus said, by the miracles Jesus did, by his character. Heaven revealed who he was. I know who Jesus is, not because he's about this tall and he spoke with this accent. I know who Jesus is because of what the Bible says he did. An earnest confession. Secondly, we notice a concept about God's church. Notice verse 18. You are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. It is God's church. Notice, it is singular in nature. It belongs to him. It is my church. It is divine and it is powerful that death itself cannot destroy the church. Those of this congregation who died, they're not a part of this church today, but they're still in God's kingdom. That never changes. You walk through that door of death and nothing changes in your relationship with God. A concept about God's search. And then we notice the entrusting of authority to the apostles. He says in verse 19, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. When you have keys, you can lock something up. When you have keys, you can open something up. And so I will give you, talking about Peter and the apostles, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you shall bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. There was a time when the people of God worshipped on Saturday. That changed. A key went in the door and that changed. That's why we're worshipping today on Sunday. There was a time when the people of God could only eat certain foods. Other foods were wrong. That key went in that door and changed that. And so the authority for them to say what they said was found in heaven. And then we find the absoluteness of Jesus' death. Five things he says here, I want you to notice. You might want to write these in your Bible. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples, notice the specifics. He must go to Jerusalem. Where's this at? It's in Jerusalem. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? He will suffer many things. Who's going to cause this suffering? The elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Very, very specific. What's going to become of this? He is going to die. He's going to be killed. And then verse 21 says he will be raised up, not someday, but on the third day. All of this is illustrating the exactness of the death of Jesus Christ. He knew exactly what was happening. Now, when Peter heard those last words, he said something that simply wasn't true. In Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. This is a double negative in the Greek. It means no never. Never ever will you die. Never ever is this going to happen. Those things you just said in the verse before, going to Jerusalem, they're going to do bad things to you, and the chief priests are going to kill you, and you're going to raise them in the third day. Never ever, never ever. My kids laugh because I have my own vocabulary. I often say, nay knew. That means no. In the definition of Roger, nay knew. That's not going to happen. But Jesus knew better. That's why he came. John 3, verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave a sacrifice. Luke 19, verse 10, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. So when Peter said this, As earnest and as much as he loved Jesus, he was wrong. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to be killed. Jesus is going to be raised on the third day. And so what we find here is some of the harshest words that Jesus ever says. He says, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan, for you're a stumbling block to me. For you're not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. Very similar is this to Luke chapter 4. It's gonna be Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted by the devil in verse 10, he says, Be gone, Satan. Get out of my way, Peter. You're standing in what is what I came to do. And notice what happens. What happens is the rock, Peter, the rock now becomes a stumbling block. And the one who is blessed, remember the great confession, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, now he's rebuked. The apostle is called an adversary. And a dear friend becomes a dire fool. And what we notice here as Jesus says this to him, he reminds him of three things. Your mind is not where it needs to be. Your mind's on earth. Your mind's on man. Your mind's on Satan. Your mind is not with me. Secondly, you're not standing where you need to stand. You need to stand behind me. You need to be supporting me. You're standing with the devil, and simply you are not with me. But of all those things, of all those things, Boyce in his commentary says, It is easy to be exactly right one moment and then terribly wrong the next. But of all those things, why did Jesus use the word Satan? Peter actually wasn't the devil. Why did he call him that? Because our word Satan means an adversary, an opponent, an enemy, someone who's opposite, someone who's going to try to prevent that which is good. And that's very similar to the word devil. We use that word sometimes. And the word devil simply means someone who slanders or is malicious or wants to malign somebody. Sellers Crane, in his book, wrote this. He says, when a person stands in opposition to God's will, he finds himself on the side of Satan, and he finds himself engaged in his work. What we want to do, we want to spend a little bit of time and talk about the subject of slander. The Bible's very serious about this, and we need to see how important what God says about this. Peter said something that wasn't true, and God had to address this. In Luke chapter 19, excuse me, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 16, you shall not go about as a slanderer, it says, among your people. And you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Don't talk bad about God's people. The book of Psalms says it this way. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to tell my statutes and, and take my covenant in your mouth? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. And verse 20, you sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silent, and you thought I was just like you. I will reprove you. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 18, he who spreads slander is a fool. Now, we need to understand when we talk about what we mean by slander. Slander is not wanting to help somebody, pray for somebody. What way can we encourage him? What way can we build him up? Slander is not intended to help, but rather it's intended to hurt. Slander is not about correcting, but condemning somebody. Slander isn't concerned whether it's true, accurate, or needful. The purpose of slander is to harm and destroy someone's reputation. If I say a lie, so be it. If I make something, let it happen. But that's the intention. Now listen to me on this. For decades and decades and decades among the people of God, we will not allow one deviation in worship. But we have set quiet while brethren and congregations all over the world have destroyed leaderships, assassinated preachers by slanderous, And false things. This is wrong. You know, every once in a while, as a parent, you got to send your kids' friends home because mom and dad got to talk to the kids. And sometimes we need to just talk to us about reminding ourselves which side are we standing on? Are we standing with Jesus or are we standing with Satan? Are we trying to be the righteous people of God or we're trying to do something that's not? Again, looking at some passages. Levit, Deuteronomy, chapter 19. If a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both the men who have this dispute shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who will be in office those days. The judges will investigate thoroughly. And if the witness is a false witness, in other words, he said something that's not true. And he has accused his brother falsely. Then you shall do to him just as he intended to do to his brothers. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. God is saying this is not tolerated among his people. We flip to the New Testament. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger. Angry words we just sang. Let them never we just sang. And clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Is it okay to bring an instrument in here? Miss Debbie has a fine piano. Can we bring this piano in here and play? We would stand up and rightly say, no, there's no authority in scriptures. Can I go around and say things that's not true, I've made up or I've heard from someone else, and I know it's not true, and that's okay. The answer is no. No. Time to put a stake down in this congregation and say, we stand with Jesus. Do you hear me? Now, we've got some things we need to talk about. Titus chapter 3, remind them, be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one. What's another word for malign? Devil. Stop being the devil. Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, as he's describing the Gentiles there, he says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to deprive mind, to do the things which are not proper, being with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God insolent arrogant boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents without understanding untrustworthy unloving unmerciful and although they have the ordinance of god that those who practice such things are worthy of death they not only do the same but they give a hearty approval to those who practice the same thing the apostle would say in the book of second corinthians for i am afraid that perhaps when i come i might find you not to be what i wish And may be found by you not to be what you wish. That perhaps there may be strife, jealousy, anger, tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, and disturbances. Not among the people of God. In the book, The Ten Dumbest Things Christians Do. The number one chapter Right out of the box is slinging mud on the bride of Christ. In the book of Revelation, the bride of Christ is shown this way. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. As bride has made herself ready, it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, For the fine linen of the righteous acts of the saints. We need to appreciate that Jesus Christ loves the church. I said over and over throughout the New Testament. Here in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. In the book of Proverbs, there are six things that the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him: haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and anyone who spreads strife among brothers. Where's God standing with that? I hate that. You got it? Do you understand? When you sing mud at the people of God, the devil is going to foothold into this church. When you sing mud at God's people, the lost have an excuse to remain lost. Why be a part of them? They're just like me. I talk about everybody. I gossip about everybody. I make things up. Why would I want to be a part of that group when that's the way they act? You hurt others for whom Jesus died, and Jesus loves. You lose credibility and trustworthiness among the saints. No one's going to pay attention to you. Because you're known to tell a lie. You're known to gossip. If, if somebody will gossip about someone else, when you talk to them, you know they're going to tell, talk gossip about you when they're not with you. And so you lose credibility. You lose trustworthiness. And listen to this, and everyone put your eyes up on the screen. You can write this down in just a moment. When you do this, you sin, you align yourself with the devil, and you face discipline. This is serious stuff. And for decades, and for decades, and for decades, we've just closed our eyes to this. Oh, no, we'd never bring a piano in here. We'd never bring popcorn in here and Coca-Cola. That's not in the Bible. But neither is slander, gossip, and lying and hurting God's people. That is not In the Bible. Book of Titus chapter 1 verse 10. For there are many rebellious men, it says. Empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision who must be silenced. Because they're upsetting families and teaching things that they should not teach for sordid gain. Again, to see the seriousness of what God says before this. So what am I supposed to do when I have heard? I was told, I'm just repeating what someone said to me. In the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5, at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go about from house to house, not merely idle, but also gossips, busybodies, talking about things not proper to talk about. Somebody came up to Socrates. Now, Socrates lived before Jesus came to earth. He lived in the B.C. time period. He was a great philosopher, And someone came up to Socrates one day and says, I have something important to tell you. It's about your friend. Socrates says, that's very kind of you. But before you tell me, I must run all information through three filters. The first filter is the filter of truth. Whatever you want to tell me, have you seen it or witnessed it firsthand? Well, I actually heard it from someone. And I think they're a trusted source, he says right there socrates says that does not pass my first test you do not know whether it's true or not second filter is goodness filter is this a good statement that will make me feel good about my friend well no not really but that's the reason i want to tell you and right there socrates interjected so you want to tell me something bad about somebody but you don't know if it's true then the last filter is of utility Your statement about my friend, is it going to be useful to me? Well, no, not really. I just want you to know. Well, then, if the information is not necessarily true, it's not good, it's of no use, Socrates says, please do not tell me. It's amazing how somebody way back before Jesus could get it right. And so what am I to do when these come about? First of all, if you repeat something without checking it out, The Bible word for that is called gossip, and it is a sin, and it needs to be repented of. If you repeat something without going to the person involved, you're guilty of sin, and you need to repent. Right now in your Bible, turn with me to the book of Titus, if you will. Look at the last verse of Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, verse 16. Titus chapter 1, verse 16. There, the last verse of Titus one's, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. And I can just sing in this church building, oh, how I love Jesus. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts. Oh, I got to tell you something about Wyatt. Oh, I heard something about Wyatt. Really? You may profess to know Jesus, but do you? If you repeat something without going to the person, well, that's not my job. Yes, it is. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, you have two choices. Either you are admitting you're not spiritual, because that's what Galatians 6, 1 says. You who are spiritual, go to someone and restore them. Either you're not spiritual and you need to have some personal Bible studies, or else you do have a responsibility. That's what the Bible says. Have you prayed about this? Someone said something. Have you prayed about it? Dear God, I hope what this person said is not true. Dear God, what am I supposed to do with this? Dear God, this is the family that belongs to you. Have you prayed about this? Why do you feel compelled to say something awful about your brother and sister who's trying to go to heaven? And then thirdly, how long has it been since you thanked the Lord for this church and said something positive about God's people? Well, Cheryl over here has. I read a card about her last week. She loves this place. Don't be ashamed, Cheryl. You got it. I love it. And so when we think about this concept, Peter said something that wasn't right. Peter was rebuked by Jesus. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. What's God going to say when I say something that's not true? A couple more things I want to share with you. The psalmist asked this great question, Psalms 15 Oh, Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell in your holy hill? That's a great question. Who can be with God? And he answers this. He who walks with integrity, who works righteousness, who speaks truth in his heart, he does not slander with his tongue, nor does he do evil to his neighbor, nor take up a reproach against his friend. That's who can stand. But if I do those things, I cannot stand where God is. And so the Bible gives us patterns. There's a pattern to follow when somebody's not doing what's right. Matthew 15 talks about that. Matthew 18, Galatians 6, and multiple other passages also talk about that. The Bible also has a pattern to follow when someone hurts the kingdom of God. In Romans chapter 16, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions. Other translations say mark them. Or are teaching things contrary to what you've learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. By their smooth and flattery speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. The job of the shepherds is to protect the flock here. Somebody who was a member who goes away and says stuff, this passage still applies. Somebody who's not a Christian and says something, this passage still applies. There may come a time when the shepherds of this congregation have to get up and name a name specifically. And say, we are identifying this person. We are marking this person. Because they are causing trouble to the church of Jesus Christ. That's how this is. Now all the way back to Disney. Oh, Thumper. Thumper says, if you can't say anything nice, don't say nothing at all. Now now stop and think about this. How come Socrates can get this right? How come Thumper can get this right? But some of you can't. Could it be you don't want to get it right? Could it be you're putting out rotten fruit from a wicked heart that wants to hurt the kingdom of God? Could it be that your ideas and hearts are not set where God wants it to be? Could it be your mind is on the interests of man and not the interests of God? Those are some things we need to think about. i behoove you in just a moment as we sing this song to come forward and sit on this front row and say, I have been guilty. I have said things I don't know if they're true or not. I have said things to hurt people. I have said things that purposely I know was gossip. This is serious stuff. And we need to see our souls at stake with this. There is a group of cranes off the coast of Turkey. And these cranes... I'm told when they fly, they crackle. They make this funny noise in the air. Well, the eagles hear them. And the eagles swoop down and they have lunch because they hear that. But the mature cranes, and I like that phrase, mature cranes, have learned to go to a riverbed and put rocks in their mouth. And when they fly, they can't crackle. And the eagles can't get them. Now imagine this week not putting rocks in your mouth, but putting Jesus in your mouth. Every word out of my mouth, every word on social media, every word I write, every word I say is first of all going through Jesus. Do you see that? God takes this serious. It's time we take this serious. It's time we understand that the people of God are serious to God. It's time to understand that maybe I got caught up in a spirit that I shouldn't have been listening to. Maybe my mind has not been on spiritual things. I've been following the the interests of man. How do I want to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the Lord says, Roger, get behind me, Satan. Because you're not acting like me god forgive us if that's what's done if we can help you please let's look in your heart if it's time to say you know what it stops maybe we need to start thinking like thumper maybe we need to start thinking like socrates maybe we need to start realizing loose lips sink ships And why in the world am I doing these things? To hurt my Jesus. If you're a subject, please come stand and sing.